0: Welcome back. What's up, guys? This is the Sports Gamble Ramble 88 here. We're doing the Seattle Seahawks. We are wrapping up that NFC West series before we move on to the AFC South next. So let's do this thing. Let's talk Seahawks. This team, obviously the headline this offseason, Russell Wilson is gone after 10 years as the face of the franchise. Arguably the greatest Seahawk in the history of Seahawks. And now this team tries to move on and establish a new culture. Russell Wilson is gone. Bobby Wagner is also gone, who was really the uh, leader and and center of that defense for the last 10 years. So really uh, looking like a weird time in Seattle, a lot of change, a lot of turnover. We're going through a quarterback competition right now through training camp. Uh, This team actually just played a preseason game last night, Saturday, the 13th. Um, that I was able to watch most of Pretty competitive game against the Steelers. Both offenses moving pretty well. Uh, Geno Smith played the entire first half. Drew Locke the entire second half. Uh, so it's interesting. Geno right now getting reps with the ones. Um, and I, If you ask me, you know, I'll just say this right away to preface the episode. I think Geno Smith is the better quarterback. I think he's going to be the starter for this team. I don't see Drew Locke playing well enough throughout the next three weeks to take over that starting role. And based on the eyeball test last night, Uh, I think Geno played better. Now you can make a number of arguments as to why that could have been in the preseason. Maybe he was playing with better offensive linemen. Uh, The starting receivers weren't playing last night as far as DK and Ty Lockett. Um, But the box score for that game, we'll peep into it real quick since we're here and we're talking about it. Geno went 11 of 15 for 102 and two touchdowns last night, no interceptions. Um, excuse me, Drew Locke threw two uh, touchdowns last night in the second half. Geno did not have any, so I guess I was reading those wrong. Uh, but Geno went 10 for 15 for 101 in the first half. So almost identical passing numbers, except for the fact that Drew Locke had uh, two touchdowns. Uh, That said, he was probably going against worse defenders. So, you know, worse offensive line for him, worse defenders he's facing. Things are kind of weird in the preseason. Maybe we see Drew Locke getting the first team reps next week. I don't really know. But again, I'll stand firm on the fact that I think Geno Smith is the better quarterback for this team. Again, throw away the two touchdowns, it's preseason football. Eyeball test told me that Gino was playing better. I think Gino showed a lot of mobility last night that Drew Lock doesn't have to his game. Drew Lock's not a statue there, but Gino looked pretty good. I, in my opinion, scrambling, you know, kind of manipulating the pocket and at least buying time. This offensive line coming into this season is ranked 27th overall by Warren Sharp and Sharp Football, so it's going to be a thing where they're going to need a mobile quarterback because, uh, again, the protection probably won't be there. So, interesting game last night, Um, some takeaways there to go over, but again, that's kind of the main thing we're watching this preseason with this Seahawks team is who's going to emerge as the starting QB. Let's dive into the recap from last year, the last year of Russell Wilson's tenure in Seattle. Again, I, I was pretty surprised by that this offseason. I figured, you know, either Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll would be gone this offseason. And if I'm in the front office of Seattle, it's a no-brainer that I'm doing everything I can to keep Russ. And I think Pete Carroll, kind, I mean, the guy's 70 years old and his offense really hasn't looked good in a few years. Um, I i don't imagine he's got that much longer to go. I didn't think he'd really want to, you know, deal with a whole rebuild period either. So it's kind of um, surprising and a little strange up in Seattle. This team went 7-10 and last year, and I honestly didn't remember them winning that many games. It seemed like... Um, It was a pretty dreadful season for this team. I mean, Russell Wilson missed some time with injuries. Uh, Geno Smith started three games for this team last year, played in four games as he had to take over about halfway through uh, one of their uh, matchups there. Um, We'll dive into his stats from those games later, but it's a it's a situation where this team, again, 7-10 last year, 9-8 against the spread, 4th in their division, 11th in the NFC. They had, I think, the number 9 overall pick in the draft. The offense was 16th in points per game, 23.2, 20th in yards per game, 323.9. Defense tied for ninth in points per game, 21.5. I don't remember this defense being that good either, um, so that was surprising to see when I went and did this research. Uh, that said, their defense 28th in yards per game, that sounds more accurate, 379.1. Turnover margin was 10th best in the league at plus 5, so maybe that helped <clears throat> Excuse me, their scoring defense a little bit there. Um, But yeah, uh, 28th in yards per game allowed. And in my opinion, with the loss of Bobby Wagner and some other names um, could be even worse this season. I think we see a big regression in terms of they can't allow that kind of yardage and have this kind of personnel on that defense and still finish top 10 in, in points allowed. I don't think that happens again this year at all. Um, Coaching changes. New defensive coordinator hired Clint Hurt, replaces Ken Norton Jr. as the defensive coordinator. Uh, Clint Hurt was on the Chicago Bears defensive staff as a D-line and linebackers coach from 2014 to 2016. He's been in Seattle since 2017 as an assistant head coach and defensive line coach. Now he takes over the D.C. role, uh, still under the command of Pete Carroll. So let's talk personnel with this team. What happened this offseason? If I haven't mentioned it four times already, Russell Wilson is the key loss for this team. They did not just cut Russell Wilson. They at least got something in return. Um, The trade details we might as well go over right now because it ties into the entire personnel picture for this team. Uh, In a rare instance, you know, these days a lot of these trades are usually just player for draft pick, but there was actually quite a few... Um, you know players included in this trade as well as assets so the the details were Russell Wilson and a 2022 fourth round pick go to Denver what Denver sends back is a uh, first second and fifth round pick in 2022 and then a first and second in 2023 along with three veteran players defensive tackle Shelby Harris tight end Noah Fant and quarterback Drew Locke so, yeah, pretty massive trade there. We talked a lot about it on our Denver episode, and I want to keep this more Seattle-focused as opposed to you know just talking about Russ the entire time. But it's, a, it's just a massive shift in identity for this team, and you can't replace a leader like that in one offseason. So I really think it is a rebuild period here outside of really the receiver position with uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. This is not a deep roster at all. Jamal Adams is their best defensive player, but there's nobody around him. Quandre Diggs is solid, too, so they have two safeties. Outside of that, it's looking rough. Again, I mentioned the O-line, bottom five in the league. Oof. Um, Who else did they lose? I mentioned Bobby Wagner, 10-year veteran, potential Hall of Fame linebacker. Uh, one of the best defensive players, if not the best defensive player in Seahawks history, along with most of those guys from the Legion of Boom. But, I mean, other than that, they didn't have many studs historically back in the, in the day. I mean, I'm sure there's guys you can mention, but big legacy players for this franchise. Uh, the two cornerstones of the franchise the last 10 years on both sides of the ball, gone. They also lost safety DJ Reed, tight end Gerald Everett, offensive tackle Jamarco Jones, defensive end Rasheem Grant, defensive end Kerry Hyder, offensive guard Ethan Pochich, and cornerback Blessing Austin. I'm thinking that's how you say that, but I don't even care. Um, Also, they lost Chris Carson. Chris Carson retired this offseason due to a uh, pretty severe neck injury and this was something that I was pretty confident in since the end of last season. All the reports that I had been following throughout the fantasy season last year to try and figure out if Carson was going to return, and then throughout the off season to figure out, you know, is he going to be available to come back? What's his timeline? You know, is he? At, you know, when the when the whole decision to re-sign Rashad Penny came out, it was discussed about where is Chris Carson's health at. Chris Carson's no longer playing football. It's been pretty obvious for a few months now. He finally announced it within the last three weeks or so, but it is official. He was a good player, short career, running backs. I mean, the odds are stacked against you from the start. He was an undrafted free agent who I think he did get a second contract with Seattle, which is fortunate for him because it came right before the wheels fell off, unfortunately. Shout out Chris Carson. Uh, but Elijah, excuse me, Rashad Penny and uh, rookie Kenneth Walker Jr. will be competing for the RB one spot on this team with Carson gone. Key additions, and I used the word key, you know, pretty loosely here. Not many big names. Most of it in the uh, on the defensive side of the ball here. So let's roll through them. Um, Let me, you know, stop me if you recognize any of these names, guys. Linebacker Uchenna Nawusu, defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson, offensive guard Austin Blythe, cornerback Artie Burns just continuously getting roasted in that Pittsburgh Steelers secondary. He's now a starting corner in Seattle. That's a scary proposition. Um, wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, the bum that basically stole $5 million from the Eagles and then opted out for COVID. Um, cornerback Justin Coleman and linebacker Joe L. Boonaway, that's my best guess. That one's a tough one. Um they re-signed a couple guys. I mentioned Rashad Penny. He's a former first round pick for this team in the 2018 draft, if I'm remembering that right. Yep. They traded up to take him 27th overall in 2018. Uh going into the draft, Rashad Penny was viewed as a third round running back. This was a shocking move. The Seahawks don't draft well historically. We've talked about it on this podcast before. They are very bad in the draft. Um, Really have not had much success since hitting on Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. I mean, yeah, you know, again, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, these are good players but they didn't draft the best player on their defense, Jamal Adams, and they have no talent really anywhere on this roster. So again, they drafted Rashad Penny in 2018. He has stayed injured basically throughout his entire run with the Seahawks, except for the back end of this past season, which I have some numbers to dive into in our fantasy breakdown at the end of this. We'll talk about Penny's run last year, but he got hot at the end of the last season, so they decided to give him I think a one-year deal here to prove if he can finally turn into something for them, but they also went and spent a draft pick in the second round on Kenneth Walker out of Michigan state. So, um he does have competition here and again kind of a one-year wonder situation i'll also mention right now while we're talking about him er, or reports this week are that rashad penny's dealing with some groin soreness and tightness in training camp he was actually pulled from the preseason game last night he was planning on playing in the first quarter and they scratched that due to injury um This guy has a track record, I just mentioned, of not staying healthy throughout his pro career. And uh, anytime you see specifically a running back or a receiver in camp early, you know, dealing with any of those nagging, you know, small muscle, soft tissue stuff down in the lower body, groins, hamstrings, all that stuff. I mean, if you come into camp with it and you continue to re-aggravate it and retweak it. That stuff can be tricky, and that stuff can linger into the season. And if Rashad Penny's first four years of his career just continue to trend in that direction here in this season, Kenneth Walker will have a big... Big opportunity, I think. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We'll talk fantasy later. But uh, elsewhere, they had two other um, big re-signings. Again, they brought back Geno Smith because he played all right in three starts last year. We'll talk about those numbers as well later in the episode. And then center Kyle Fuller's their starting center, and he got uh, brought back, re-signed this offseason. So that's about it as far as the free agency, the contracts, the veteran personnel. Let's talk draft. Um, Their first pick in the first round, nine overall offensive tackle, Charles Cross out of Mississippi state. Uh, I liked his tape a lot. Some people said that they liked him as the number one tackle in the draft. um, Although there was two very good tackles taken ahead of him with Akeem Aquanu and uh, Evan Neal out of Alabama. Um, But it looks like three quality tackles in this draft. Charles Cross, like I have no reason to complain about it. I think he looks like a stud. He's a big physical athletic prototypical left tackle and this team badly needed investments on the offensive line. Maybe if they had, you know, made this draft pick four years ago, Russell Wilson would still be there because they just never gave that guy an O-line ever. They said, Oh, our QB can run. We don't need to block. And it just, It's, it makes no sense. It's really weird. It's almost like the Packers just continuing to like not draft Rodgers wide receivers. It's like, oh, maybe if we could get Russ and O line in Seattle, we could do something here. Maybe the running game that you call 60% of your plays would actually be effective if you had somebody blocking Pete Carroll. Um, Uh, Round two, defensive end Boye Mafé out of Minnesota. Um, They also have no pass rush, so this makes sense. I mean, on paper, they address their two probably biggest needs on this team with the pass rush and with the offensive line. You got to, especially when you're rebuilding, you got to focus on those trenches, build inside out. I guess that's what they're trying to do here. Um, but Boye Mafe is a guy who is a bit of a tweener. You know, some say outside linebacker, some say defensive end, you know, that overhang edge defender. He's currently second on the depth chart behind Uchenna Nwosu, And um, I don't know. We'll see. I think based on what I heard out of the draft, kind of a raw guy, you know, high upside athletic pass rusher who may not be quite polished yet, which would explain why he's second on the depth chart right now. Uh, we'll see, maybe a situational pass rusher in his, in his rookie year, um, but I don't know if he'll make an immediate impact from day one. Round two, uh, running back Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. This guy, I think, does make an immediate impact. Um, The eyeball test looked pretty good to me last night with Kenneth Walker in the preseason game. I mentioned he had gotten the start in most of the first-team work last night with Rashad Penny not playing. The stats won't overwhelm you here. Five carries, 19 yards, one reception, 11 yards, so that's six touches, 30 yards. Uh, But eyeball test, again, I didn't think he had much blocking for him, and I saw him multiple times, you know, maybe only gain two or three yards, but he'd make two or three guys miss in order to get those three yards. So talent-wise, I like Kenneth Walker a lot, and I think if we continue to see Rashad Penny uh, deal with these lower body injuries, I think it's a... He's a guy I'm I'm definitely paying attention to in training camp and in the preseason. Uh, These rookie running backs with high draft capital, usually pretty solid for fantasy and real-life football. And again, eyeball test, I just thought he looked good. Uh, Again, one reception for 11 yards. He was dancing in the open field a little bit. This is a guy that can catch passes. He wasn't really asked to at Michigan State. I got news for you. Le'Veon Bell wasn't asked to catch passes at Michigan State either, and I think he caught 90 balls one year for the Steelers. It's just not what Michigan State does with their running backs, but it's not outside of his skill set. I'm excited about Walker long term. I think even if Rashad Penny has a good year and stays healthy, this is probably a 50-50 time split by the end of the season and Penny doesn't get brought back. I don't, I don't see Rashad Penny re-signing with this team, even if he goes for 1,000 yards this year, because uh, he'll probably be expecting a bigger contract and free agency, and Seattle will have a cheap uh, younger replacement with even more talent, probably than Penny in Kenneth Walker. So uh, he's a guy I'm excited about long-term. He looked good last night. Round three, offensive tackle, Abraham Lucas. They continue to invest in the O-line about goddamn time, Seattle. Uh, he played at Washington State. Round four, cornerback, Kobe Bryant. Uh, Kobe spelled C-O-B-Y. This guy, in my opinion, should be legally forced to change his name Cody Bryant or Kobe Bryant, something like that, but that's just disrespectful. Um he played at Cincinnati. Uh round five, cornerback Tariq Wollen out of UTSA. I'm only going five rounds deep here because Tariq Wollen was a guy I heard solid things of in the uh draft process. Currently though, sitting on the third string in the depth chart, so I guess not really making waves in camp. Again, I've alluded to the the lack of depth and talent on this defense. Outside of their safeties, the, the secondary could be very bad this year. Their starting corners are Sidney Jones and Artie Burns, and then they've got Kobe Bryant and Trey Brown, Justin Coleman, and Tariq Wolin at the corner position, and I'm just I'm not excited about those names. If Sidney Jones and Artie Burns are your two starting corners, with the amount of talent at the receiver position in the league these days and some of the explosive passing offenses, the fact that you got to try and... Play defense against the Rams, 49ers, and Cardinals for six of your games. Good fucking luck stopping those offenses this year. Um, What else? What else? Let's dive into the schedule, shall we? Um, Not easy. Again, I mentioned they are the worst team in their division by a solid margin. I think the 49ers and Rams, we all expect to be good uh, almost every year. And the Cardinals went 11-6 and last year, which um, I've expressed concerns this year uh, in recent episodes, but they'll be better than Seattle, right? And they have a better roster, at least. Um, they also have to play the AFC West. The AFC West and the NFC West play each other this year, which is going to make for a lot of great football, like a lot of unbelievable matchups this year between those two, the two most stacked divisions easily at the same time, it kind of makes it hard to take some win totals in this, in these divisions um, because these teams, these, these two divisions have the most difficult schedules because they play each other and they play their own division for six of their own games as well. So it's not going to be easy out West this year, the Seahawks easily the worst team out of those eight teams. So it is, Really tough sledding for them. They do have a couple layups on the schedule, but when you're theoretically a bottom five roster yourself, I don't really know if anything is a layup. So let's run through it. Broncos week one, Russell Wilson returns to Seattle. Thank you to the schedule makers. That's awesome. It's the Monday night game, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly. So yeah, we get Russ at Seattle week one, Monday night primetime right away. Broncos, country, let's ride. Um, I think Russ beats the fuck out of the Seahawks in that game, uh, to be honest. Okay, so let's keep going. 49ers, Falcons, Lions, Saints, Cardinals, Chargers, Giants, Cardinals, Bucks, Raiders, Rams, Panthers, 49ers, Chiefs, Jets, Rams. So they benefit definitely from a uh, last place schedule here. Again, you'll notice some cupcakes. The Jets, Panthers, winnable. Uh, Giants, Lions, Falcons, right? So that's like five games against teams that might be bad. Personally, I think the Lions will be better than the Seahawks. The Panthers probably will be better than the Seahawks, I would assume, especially if CMC stays healthy. And then outside of that, not many easy wins here at all. And the win total for this team is five and a half. Um, A month ago, the over was minus 130. It's now minus 135. So I guess a little bit of juice on the over there, but not much to really, for me to give a shit. Um, The under is uh, plus 115. It was plus 110 a month ago. Um, Over under five and a half. I mean, I just mentioned realistically, they have like five games where they can, be relatively maybe even matched and then outside of that they're gonna have to pull upsets everywhere else on their schedule and so that's assuming that they basically like go perfect in their winnable games and then still pull off an upset or maybe they go like four and one and then pull off two upsets whatever the case it's kind of an uphill battle i think and I'm not sure I can get down with it. Again, it's just your division is tough. You're going to be the worst team in the division. And you have to basically capitalize on every chance you have to win a game in order to get over that five and a half. I'll lean towards the under. I don't think I'll bet it. Um, but this team, the outlook's not good when you look at the odds. You know, some of the propositions in the sports books, you have a sense that the sports books are not high on this team. They are 15. Thousand, excuse me. It's such a big number. I had a tough time reading it. They're a hundred and fifty to one to win the Super Bowl. They're seventy to one to win the NFC. That's the second worst odds in the NFC. The uh, the Seahawks and Falcons, I believe, at the bottom of the NFC. So even they're even giving teams like the Lions, Giants, Commanders, um, Bears better odds to win the NFC than than the Seahawks, who have uh, basically had a winning, uh, season 90% of the last decade, it's pretty wild, uh, the odds to win the division, 15 to 1, dead last, and rightfully so, um, playoffs, odds to make the playoffs, yes, is over 4 to 1 at plus 430, no is minus 650, Jesus, so, I'm not really gonna have much action there if I recommend anything, it is under five and a half wins. If you can get a six somewhere, I will, excuse me, I will endorse that. If you can get a six, a flat six, you won't get a six and a half on this team, that's asking too much. But if you can find a half game on that line and if someone's willing to give you a flat six, six and 11 is the ceiling for this team, best case scenario, you will push on that. I will endorse six, Five and a half is a little cute for me. I'm not sure I'm loving it. So let's talk fantasy. Let's talk stats. I have quite a few stats to go over in terms of maybe getting an idea of what this offense looks like. Again, it's difficult to project with the quarterback battle here. We have to take into the possibility that it could be Drew Locke, but I'm going to make these projections considering Geno Smith is the starting quarterback. It's my only option right now. Um, I'm not going to sit here and play maybe the entire episode. So I think Gino will start. Let's hope I'm not wrong about this. Um, let's, uh, let's first let you know about the personnel we're going to talk, and then I'll dive into Geno's stats, and we'll go from there. So we're talking Gino Smith, Rashad Penny, Kenneth Walker, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Noah Fant. Um, the honorable mentions, obviously, Drew Locke is a potential factor in this offense he's actually being drafted ahead of gino right now gino's going qb 37 in your deep fantasy drafts and drew Locke is qb 35 um reminds me kind of of the whole trey lance jimmy garoppolo thing last year like people are drafting the wrong guy i guess i don't know it'll probably sort itself out in two weeks when gino's named the starter honorable mentions keep it rolling the depth chart at running back, all of these guys have been used recently due to, um, like I've said, you know, a lot of injuries and inconsistency, kind of a plug-and-play running back by committee situation last year with the uh, the Seahawks backfield. So they've got DJ Dallas and Travis Homer on the depth chart, who we've seen in limited, uh, limited action previously. And then outside of the two main wide receivers, it's really a murky situation. The wide receiver three is Freddie Swain on the depth chart. And then they've got D. Eskridge and Marquise Goodwin as the other two guys that I could see maybe stepping into that role. But this is not a team that uses three wide receiver sets very often. Uh, Pete Carroll, I've alluded to, runs kind of an antiquated offense, and it's mainly just DK and Lockett out there that we got to worry about. Lastly, the backup tight end is Will Disley, aka Big Montana. We've seen him show up from time to time. Not really a consistent factor, though. Okay. Let's talk Gino. You're not drafting him for fantasy. I get it. I just want to talk. How is this team going to look? Real life football. You know, you're not touching Gino. He's going 308 overall. He wasn't drafted last year because he was a backup. He played four games last year. Started three of them. He had to come in for relief halfway through a game. Uh, so in those four games, Gino's total stats were 709 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, and a 68% completion percentage. In his three starts. So, you know, we're just going to take away that one half a game. He's got 571 in terms of yards, four touchdowns, zero picks. So he only threw an interception in the game where he came in halfway and wasn't getting the starting reps. Pretty efficient numbers, you know, 68% completion percentage. Geno didn't play terrible last year. He really was obviously in that game manager role, but if he can continue to play clean football like that and limit the turnovers – I'm excited for Gino as far as getting an opportunity to maybe revive his career. I don't see him ever being the long-term solution for any franchise but i think it's possible he holds on to this starting job he plays decent enough to keep it the whole year and maybe even comes into camp next year as the starter for the seahawks team with them probably taking a rookie in the upcoming draft but it's potential here for Gino to kind of have a couple you know maybe a one or two year run with this team and keep himself you know earning a paycheck for the the back end of his career here he is an nfl quarterback his time with the Jets did not work out. I don't think anybody works out in the Jets. If you guys can let me know the last time anything has worked out for the Jets outside of those two fluke years with Mark Sanchez, how far back do we have to go? When he got drafted to the Jets, I was pissed off. I'm a Geno fan. He went to West Virginia when I was there. My freshman year at West Virginia was Geno's senior year. Uh, five weeks into the season, we were 5-0. and We were the fifth-ranked team in the country. We had just beaten Texas um Gino Smith was a Heisman favorite and odds on Heisman um front runner uh so I've always had a soft spot for him I wanted him to work out in the NFL the Jets ruined him it makes sense I think he has potential to play decent football this year just decent the offensive line is going to be bad he has the mobility to kind of make some plays it's an uphill battle but I think Gino can be okay Um, I mentioned the stats, not terrible. I also went and extrapolated some stats as far as what did the receivers look like in these three starts. So in Geno's three starts, DK Metcalf had 197 yards, 14 receptions, and three touchdowns. Tyler Lockett had 189 yards, 16 receptions, zero touchdowns. So the touchdowns are a thing where, you know, maybe it's a trend because maybe he just likes looking towards DK in the red zone. Maybe it's, a well, actually, remembering these games, DK was just kind of busting some long touchdowns, um, if I remember correctly. So that's part of it, too, is just who's going to, you know, break the big play. But if you extrapolate those statistics over an entire 17-game season, what it comes out to is DK – 1,116 receiving yards, 79 receptions, and 17 touchdowns. Again, you can't really project 17 touchdowns over that kind of a stretch, that small of a sample size. And then Tyler Lockett, 1,071 yards, 90 receptions, zero touchdowns because of the extrapolation. But it puts them at 80 and 90 receptions and both over 1,000 yards. I'm not sure if Geno Smith is going to sustain 2,000-yard receivers, but... It just shows that that's a decent pace. It, it Not all hope is lost for these players. I mean, we'll get to it, but Tyler Lockett's going like 10th round in your fantasy drafts, and he's still a very good player. I could see these guys maybe surprising us in terms of the floor not completely dropping out for fantasy. It'll be interesting. So, you know, Gino, there's no statistics. There's no consistency metrics. I just told you guys his stats. That's kind of... We're just going to skip that portion. You're not drafting a Seahawks quarterback this year. I just wanted to talk about the relevance for the rest of the offense. Let's move on to the running backs, because these guys you may be targeting more in your fantasy drafts. Uh, Right now, Kenneth Walker actually going ahead of Rashad Penny by about two rounds. People in the fantasy community really getting enamored with that youth and that rookie uh, potential. You know, We've seen Rashad Penny disappoint people for years now, and Kenneth Walker, it's always... You know, that that unknown, that potential there is always going to get you a little bit more excited than like the asset you've seen in the past. So it makes sense a little bit. We'll have to watch. I, if Rashad Penny's injury situation continues, I'll probably be targeting Walker because I like the player and I don't really see him losing touches to the other guys here like DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. I think Walker is clearly in a class of his own on this depth chart in terms of talent. Uh, Rashad Penny good player as well but uh, again inconsistencies so Penny's going 92 overall running back 35 Walker 71 overall running back 29 Rashad Penny last year was not being drafted he didn't come into relevancy until Chris Carson's injury he finished the running back 42 last year only played 10 games was the running back 25 in points per game Let's talk consistency here, and then I'll dive deeper into his numbers because there's some really interesting stuff here. So, Penny finished top 12 40% of his games. It was actually the 15th uh, most frequent top 12 finish at running backs. He never came in that RB2 range of 13 through 24, so 40% top 24 finish, 36th best in consistency, and he busted outside of the top 36 in 5 out of his 10 games, but... Let's talk about this because some of those games in terms of how these, these numbers are being skewed a little bit. If you look at the last six games of the season, when Rashad Penny was really given full, um, full control of this backfield and the clear number one role, um, he received double-digit carries in every one of these games through week 13 through 18. Rashad Penny was the number one running back in all of fantasy football over the last six games of the season last year. He, had, he was doing things he'd never done in the previous three and a half years of his career. Over six games, 102 carries, 736 rushing yards, six touchdowns. He was averaging 7.21 yards per carry. That's insane. Uh, so again, that's what got him his contract extension this off season. It's the reason that Seattle is holding on to the hope that maybe this guy is just a late bloomer in terms of his NFL career. If he can give us what he gave us in that six game stretch, we may have just, you know, hit the jackpot in terms of the running back market here. On top of that, like I said, groin soreness right now in camp, and he's got a rookie second round pick right behind him. There's not much margin for error with Rashad Penny this year, and so that is kind of having me scared to draft him. He is going pretty late, again, like ninth round of your fantasy drafts, RB35. But if that groin keeps giving us problems, I think Walker could easily steal this role. So Walker, again, 71 overall, running back 29 in drafts this year. We can't dive into consistency metrics. He's a rookie. But I think he's more talented than Rashad Penny overall. I think the coaching staff wants Penny to hold on to this job based on what he showed them last year. But Walker, to me, is the more intriguing guy in terms of maybe taking over by the end of the season. And definitely long term, he's the guy for this Seahawks team. So if Penny doesn't, uh, you know, again, return what they want, they could easily move on sooner rather than later to Walker. So pay attention to these guys. Um, I'm getting more intrigued by Walker as I see him in the preseason and I hear about the penny injuries. The uh, Seahawks have the 25th ranked fantasy schedule for running back, so not an easy schedule there. The receivers, on the other hand, have the 5th ranked schedule, so we could see some potential here. I think we may be getting a discount, especially on Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett is a guy I think in the fucking 10th round of my fantasy drafts, I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to miss out because the draft cost is so small. Um, I will note, Tyler Lockett, I, I mentioned his stats, but to be honest, those stats lie a little bit. He, in one of the games last year in week 18, I believe, had 12 catches for 143 yards. Outside of that, he had like four catches for 42 yards in the other two games, and he didn't score a touchdown. So that is concerning. But again, Lockett's a guy we've seen do it in the NFL for years and he's going super late in your draft. So I don't know. I haven't really made up my mind here on these receivers. But the fact that they're going so late in the drafts, I am almost kind of leaning towards maybe taking a discount, especially with the fact that the defense will be Swiss cheese, in my opinion. You guys are going to have to throw in the second half of games in Seattle, I think. So maybe maybe a discount here. Um, DK going 47th overall. Wide receiver 18, Lockett going 94th overall, wide receiver 41. Lockett's going to crack that top 35 easily, probably top 30. He's usually a top 24 guy. Um, last year, DK was being drafted at his ceiling. I don't remember DK going 20th overall in wide receiver 6 last year, but I guess that is what happened. Um, he finished 14th overall in 17 games, played 25th in points per game. Uh, Lockett, on the other hand, um, going last year 47th overall where DK's going this year. Wide receiver 19 off the board last year. He finished wide receiver 16. So this offense gave you the wide receiver 14 and 16 in PPR leagues for fantasy last year. Um, Despite really not being uh, at its peak in terms of performance, Uh, Lockett played 16 games, wide receiver 20 in points per game um again it's kind of a situation where you were getting a boom game from one of these guys on a week-in week-out basis but they also almost kind of traded off it was very rare that you would get a solid fantasy performance or statistical performance by both these guys in the same game it was almost kind of who's going to catch the deep touchdown this week and you can see that reflected in their consistency charts here dk metcalf top 12 receiver 29.4 percent of the games Tyler Lockett, 37.5% as a top 12. So DK hit top 12 15th most frequently. Lockett 7th most frequently. And again, not many of those games happening concurrently. It was usually, it's either DK this week or it's Lockett this week. So that's something to be aware of. Both these guys only finished wide receiver two one game of the season. So not much to dive into there. So as we look at top 24 finishes... DK Metcalf, 35.3%, 31st most consistent top 24 wide receiver. And then Lockett, 43.8% in the top 24. That was 20th most consistent. So we do see Lockett being more consistent on a week-in, week-out basis. A little bit less volatility in terms of touchdown dependence. A little bit more solid in the PPR game. As we look at their stats over the season last year, actually uh, DK had more receptions, which I didn't really see coming. Um, but DK had 75 catches for 967 and 12 touchdowns. Uh, Tyler Lockett, um, 73 catches, 1,175 yards and eight touchdowns. So Lockett is averaging four more yards per catch, but DK got four more touchdowns last year. It kind of seems about right to me. Um, interesting again, but really the main point here it's going to be boomer bust for both these guys on a week in week out basis. And <clears throat> again you're probably not going to get a great week from both of them. So definitely don't draft both of them on your same fantasy team. You're never going to know which one to play. I would say that for sure. Don't do that. Even though you can get one in the fifth and one in the ninth, just don't do that. And I would say that the Seahawks receivers are definitely better for your best ball fantasy drafts where you don't have to worry about setting your lineup each week. You can just kind of cash in on those boom weeks. Um, but again, I think if there's a guy I'm going with, it's Tyler Lockett because you can get him almost like at half the draft cost in your ninth or 10th round. It's kind of where I'm at with it. Good players. DK got a contract this year. They have money tied to both these guys. And really, uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and Jamal Adams are almost the only good players on this team, to be, on- to be honest. Noah Fant's a good player too, but he's broken my heart too many times for me to recommend drafting him in fantasy. If you guys have kept up with me over the last two or three years since I've been doing this whole social media podcasting thing, all the way back to the days with Willie and the dog, I have been in love with Noah Fant from a talent standpoint, but he has just never followed up on it. He's never given me what I want, and I just have to quit this guy. That said, you know, maybe he is in on some of this target share here. There's not really a third receiver in this offense they don't really throw to their running backs that often and I think with Geno Smith's skill set and even Drew Locke if he gets in there this team is probably going to run a lot of bootlegs we saw a lot of heavy play action and a lot of bootlegs with Russell Wilson before and I think the mobility that Geno Smith has is pretty similar in terms of Noah Fant maybe could become more of a relevant guy here, as um, you know he always had all the potential in the world. His run after catch ability to me is insane on tape. Yet in the NFL he's been able to do virtually nothing in terms of run after the catch production. It's kind of blowing my mind. But I, if you go and look at his highlights from University of Iowa or even some of his preseason tape and some of his again just highlights from his NFL career, um, the rare you know spark plays that we see. This guy has a shit ton of potential he really is freakishly athletic he's a first round draft capital tight end from the I believe 2018 draft and it just I'm still waiting for the breakout but I, I don't want to give up on the player I just don't think I'm really targeting him for fantasy this year he's being drafted 153 overall tight end 18 last year being drafted 90, 93 overall is the tight end 9 and again a lot of people have been on the Noah fan breakout train for quite some time and it just hasn't come I just can't get burnt by it again. I think I want a tight end with higher touchdown upside on a week-in, week-out basis attached to a better quarterback and a higher-volume passing offense for fantasy. Uh, He finished the tight end 12 last year being drafted tight end 9, played 16 games, 14th in points per game, and he was not a guy that gave you top six upside very frequently. He was the 13th most frequent top 6 tight end at only uh, 16% of his games. He finished top 12 43%, which was the 15th best top 12 frequency, and he uh, finished tight end two a quarter of his games busted outside of the top 24 31% of his games. Again, I can't really recommend drafting him for fantasy, but if you do see him involved in the offense in the few weeks, know this I believe in the talent. I absolutely believe in the talent. It could be a situation where we get a post-type sleeper. Maybe he has some good chemistry early on with the quarterback, and again, maybe they're using him on some of those bootlegs to get him open. Maybe he does receive some goal line attention and some red zone targets based on that approach. Outside of that, it's just not something that's like super on my radar going into my drafts this year. So as you guys can tell, you know, kind of a transitional year for Seattle in my eyes and in the eyes of a lot of people around the league. I'm not that optimistic about this team. I will be hoping that Geno Smith can play decent football. Like from an emotional standpoint, I'm a Geno Smith fan. I root for him. And I'm also a believer that like he's not a dog shit quarterback. He's maybe not the solution to your franchise. Maybe at this point I kind of view the career arcs and even the maybe the player talent of like a Geno Smith and Marcus Mariota kind of similar, and I guess that's reflected in the fact that the Falcons and the Seahawks have the two worst odds to win the NFC this year, but um, I don't know. We'll see what it looks like. It's really weird. I don't know how many years Pete Carroll has left, especially if this year doesn't go well, but they're projected to finish last in their division, and the win totals five and a half. You can make your own decision, but uh, I don't know. Weird times in Seattle. I'm going to wrap this one up. We are doing the Titans next. We're moving on to the AFC South. So stay tuned for that. We'll see who I pick to win that division. And then, uh, and then we'll finish in the NFC South. We've only got two more divisions plus those pesky Browns. I am still delaying my Browns episode. Somehow, it is August 14th, and we still don't know what the fuck is going on with Deshaun Watson. Shout out Roger Goodell for just doing a bang-up job with that, by the way. If I can get this quick rant in, a little bonus rant for you guys. What the fuck happened with that whole... Okay, so let's go and hire a third-party arbitrator to go and review all this shit and handle it legally. She's what? Like a federal judge. Let's just, you know, Sue Robinson will implement this whole new process where instead of Roger Goodell being handling, you know, player misconduct hearings and being, you know, the uh, judge, jury and executioner, we'll try and develop this balance of powers almost like the judicial branch in the government, except Roger Goodell decides, "Ah, I don't like that ruling. Um, I'm actually going to make the decision. Oh, wait, I can't make the decision. Okay, I'll select a committee. And then uh, they'll make the ruling, but it'll be the people that I select. And they'll be only ruling really what I want them to. So Dog and Pony show. Holy shit. I can't wait to get an answer on that. I I can't wait to do my Browns episode, if you can tell by my tone. Um, I will save this uh, for the Browns episode, but absolute shit show in the NFL. Uh, Thanks, Roger Goodell, for always giving us something to talk about. That's it for me, guys. Have a, a great week. Tune in next time for our Titans preview and ramble on.